Welcome to The Resonance, the podcast about energy and sustainability from Alpha Energy Group. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Alpha Energy Group podcast. I'm Jeremy Nicholson, Corporate Affairs Officer at Alpha, and I'm joined by my colleague, Alpha's Chairman, John Hall, to discuss the extraordinary situation, the crisis, in fact, in the energy markets. And John, the last time you and I spoke uh, to one another at a podcast, it was before Christmas, and then we thought the prices were at staggering, unprecedented levels, and things have got worse, haven't they? Largely as a result of the invasion of Ukraine and, and the related issues there. So if you were going to sum up the situation for consumers and others observing the markets, what would it be? You almost run out of words to describe it, don't you? I think the most difficult aspect of this is to accept the level of increases that have come to. I was just looking at prices today and if I'd fixed my um, gas contract say a year ago from April last year and doing it again today, it's something 11 times greater. That's as of now. And my electricity will be seven times greater. And I think I do feel for industrial commercial buyers of energy who many of them say we don't accept price increases. Reality here is kicking in and that's where we are today. Now, if the situation deteriorates further, if, for example, the West says to Russia, we don't want any more of your gas and they have no clue where they're going to get it from, whatever the price of gas is, then will go up even further. Well, I think that's the danger. And in fairness to governments, there's a limit to what they can do in the short term. You you could, I suppose, encourage people to turn their thermostats down a little bit if they weren't already frightened enough about their gas bill. But you can't suddenly bring new gas resources on stream. You can't easily switch to other forms of power generation like renewables or nuclear overnight, although there's a lot that can be done to accelerate that change in the longer run. So what does government do? It, it, it strikes me that we're in bind here, and that perhaps explains the extraordinary prices we've seen in the wholesale markets. I think it also explains why governments are reluctant to say they don't want to buy any more Russian gas. Now, in the UK, we only buy about 3% of our gas from Russia. Germany takes 40% of its gas from Russia. And I do remember when the Langerled line opened up from Norway to the UK supplying gas, the Norwegian said, or Norwegian said to me then, that the UK can have any gas we don't sell elsewhere. So, for example, if we're looking after our long-term contract customers and they don't need any more gas, you can have what's left over. Now, if we look at the market today, I don't know who else Norway sells to, but gas came, you know, goes into the system and comes out the other end in different places. And my guess is that if the Germans say they're not going to buy any more gas from Russia, if they're able to do that, they will look around mainland Europe to see where else they can buy from. That's where the problem come from for the UK. If they said we're not buying Russian gas, we don't really have it anyway. But it would then mean that supplies would be diverted elsewhere. And the UK being at the end of the line, an island would have to go somewhere else to get its gas. Now, we have LNG storage, but a few days ago, a tanker was coming in from Russia and the dockers refused to unload it at grain. I mean, you could say to Admiral, they should take such a move. But if we don't take cargoes from Russia, we need to have a structured approach to this to make sure it's not just ad hoc. We'll have that one. We won't have that one. We really have to know exactly what we're doing and when we're doing it. The other aspect is that we get something like 20% of our oil supplies, diesel in particular, from Russia. And you know what happens when there's a rumor out there, for example, there's a shortage of tanker drivers in the UK. Everyone goes berserk looking to stock up. 
if we start announcing that maybe 18, 20% of diesel supplies won't come through, you can imagine the impact, even though prices today are at something like 160 pence a litre. Well, I think that's an important point. It's it's one of those situations, if I were you, I wouldn't start from here, but we are where we are. As you say, we're, we're partly dependent on Russian gas, not so much as the rest of Europe, but physically connected to that market. So the, so the risks are pretty similar, are slightly more dependent on Russian oil. Uh, funnily enough, such coal as is still burnt in UK power stations predominantly comes from Russia too, but that's less of an issue and you can store it and you can source it from elsewhere. But it's the gas that's the real tight point for Europe, with about 40% of Europe's gas normally coming from Russia, and with gas in storage uh, right across Europe at historically low levels for the time of year. So there's not much of a buffer there, is there? So when I looked at the the markets just before we spoke, the end of last week, uh, we were looking at gas at around 500 pence a therm. The market opened at an astonishing 800 pence a therm before thankfully retreating a little bit. And who knows what price will be by the time people are listening to this. So we've got some very choppy times ahead, haven't we? Yeah, I mean, quite frankly, I don't know, you know, what's going through the minds of government what's going through the minds of people who will make a decision about this. I mean, on the one hand, they're talking about sanctions to Russia. And if I look at the oil market, I can see there's a certain amount of oil today that is not going anywhere. Russian oil, they they can't sell it. And, you know, they're at the point now where there are cargoes floating around out there with nowhere to go. So uh, there is an impact already being felt by the Russians. It's really a question now of how much further governments are prepared to go, I can't see them saying in the short term, we're not going to buy any more gas from Russia. I suspect that's right. I mean, that doesn't mean that we couldn't collectively consume less Russian oil and gas, and that would reduce the revenues that are, that are going to Russia and so on. And there may be some you know, strategic reasons for doing that, but getting off it totally seems to me to be pie in the sky. Unless we're in, prepared to inflict the sort of economic damage on ourselves, you know, I think most, most governments and certainly most electors would regard as intolerable. And I just can't see that happening. But looking across Europe at the moment, some governments are seeing what they can do to help mitigate the impact on business users as well as domestic consumers. But it strikes me even there, if you're faced in a you know tenfold increase in the wholesale price, you can't set or offset all of those costs using taxation to, to mitigate the impact on industrial and other energy consumers, can you? That means we're already feeling the pain. And if we start adding any more pain, people will resist. I mean, it's rather like governments get blamed for inflation, they get blamed for high energy prices, they get blamed for everything people don't like. And at the moment, we're looking to sort of give some support to Ukraine. We're looking to penalise Russia at a cost to ourselves. It's a question of how far can we push that cost? In the short term, you know, I really cannot see an answer to this. We can ask people to cut back. I mean, I understand in Europe there's talk of, you know, gas rationing or rationing of some kind. We've we've been through rationing ourselves and, you know, the three-day week and stuff many years ago. I, I don't know if that kind of thing is realistic again, but something is going to have to give. If the gas isn't available, we're going to have to find some kind of a way of reducing our our need for gas or reducing our need for heating of some kind. And that is the sort of thing that we perhaps would have to look at going back to a three, four day week for a period of time. 
in a sense, that's already starting to happen, sadly, with certain energy intensive industries who tend to buy a higher proportion of their power and gas on flexible bases, you know, linked to the linked to the wholesale price. So these astonishing market reactions are feeding through already to the you know the balance sheets of, the, of these companies and some are having to suspend and otherwise cut back production let's hope some of that none of that is uh, is permanent but who knows the longer this crisis goes on the, the larger the risk of that i guess and the difficulty is those countries that can afford to sustain it for longer will win out in terms of market share so if companies in the uk have to cut back to sort of three days a week Perhaps there's another company somewhere in another part of the world that can keep going for four or five days a week. We're in direct competition with China anyway. Now, China is supporting Russia, as is India, as is Saudi Arabia. And so you have a number of countries out there from the geopolitical scene that are not supporting the West or Europe in terms of what they're doing. Russia could sell to China, could also sell to or work with Iran. So there are countries out there, and maybe Saudi would also support Russia to an extent. But, you know, there are other countries out there that will counter any sanctions that the West can actually apply. So geopolitically, we have issues to contend with as well. Indeed. And sort of thinking slightly longer term, it was only a few months ago, after all, that we had the COP26 climate talks um, in Scotland. And and the world seems to look a very different place now. Of course, that environmental agenda hasn't gone away. And many would say in the long run, it's perhaps strengthened the case to move away from gas and oil. Uh, But of course, you can't do that overnight, can you? And then even under the most optimistic scenario, we're going to be using gas for decades to come, albeit in decreasing quantities in the UK and elsewhere in Europe. As we decarbonize, as we grow new renewables, perhaps add some nuclear on as well. And one shouldn't forget, gas is also a feedstock for the chemical industry. So it's not just a a source of fuel for heating. So we're going to have to recognize that gas is going to be with us for some time. Does that mean that, you know, developing our own gas resources, not just um, a new lease of life for the North Sea, but possibly even more controversial things like um, fracking for onshore gas might be back on the table, do you think? Well, absolutely. I mean, fracking got killed off a couple of years ago. And I mean, there is potential for that. There is also greater potential to get more gas out of the North Sea. But we're now looking to hit companies in the North Sea by, you know, putting a windfall tax on them. So on the one hand, we need them to get the resources out, whether it's oil, whether it's gas or invest in fracking or whatever. Much as we don't like that sort of thing, we do need it. But at the same time, we're looking to hit them hard for actually making money doing what they should have been doing anyway. So it's really, there are a number of conflicts going on there, but reality is there is still some potential in the North Sea. We have unfortunately, when we set up the interconnector originally, we set it up so that 60% of the gas would be exported and 40% in. We sold off a lot of our gas cheaply from the North Sea, which is why we have to import so much today. So my guess is if we start to invest back into the North Sea again, we'd stand a chance in the medium term. And likewise, going back into fracking or trying to look at fracking. Ahead, I suppose, of all of this, you know, we could go back to coal, but we don't want to. My guess is nuclear is going to come back again. Germany gave up nuclear and went towards coal in the short term, brown coal. Um, My guess is now they're probably thinking about going back to nuclear because really there's not much else they've got at this stage. 
Well, quite. And some of us were quite critical of the German plans to phase out low-carbon nuclear, thus making themselves more dependent on high-carbon coal, whilst admittedly developing a lot of renewables. And and possibly, you know, the short-sightedness of that has become apparent to a lot of people as, you know, one of the byproducts, of course, was in, was in fact increasing their reliance um, on Russian gas as they wound down coal. So all these things go round and round. And, and the long term, I'm sure you're right, nuclear and other low-carbon power generation becoming even more important, as well as growing renewables. And I don't think that agenda is going to go away. But in the short term, we need to keep lights on and homes warm and businesses in production, don't we? And that, and it just seems ironic that a, a president who came in saying, you know, he was going to move away from uh, oil and gas production in, in the United States is now encouraging OPEC to produce more. And, and who knows what else might happen in America and, and Western Europe. But, you know, can OPEC do more, more at the moment? Uh, is there the flexibility in, in global production to respond? The answer to that one is not a lot, no. I mean, they're sticking to their targets at the moment and increasing by 400,000 barrels a, you know, a, day, a, a month. But reality is there's not really much more they can produce anyway. And you mustn't forget that Russia is an OPEC, well, not an OPEC member, but is an OPEC partner. And Saudi and Russia are hand in hand. And Saudi will not fall out with Russia because if Russia goes away, Saudi will lose the initiative on what it does with the other OPEC plus states. So that is you know, another issue. Saudi and Russia go together. So if anybody says to Saudi, you know, can you increase more? They're going to turn to Russia and say, hey, are you with us on this one? When we look at the environmental scene that, you know, the UK, like other countries, has an ambitious target uh, to cut back emissions. There, are, there is a move apparently in the cabinet now looking at the timescale as being perhaps unrealistic. So that was before Ukraine came along. And so if it was unrealistic then, it's going to be even more unrealistic today. And even though this is a great opportunity to switch faster into renewables, where are they? What are they? How are we going to do it? We don't have the answers to that at the moment, which is why we're in limbo. And I think that in the shorter term, we're going to have to sort of look at whatever we can get, as you say, to keep the lights on and keep industry running. Having discussed all aspects of this situation you know, in a few minutes, we've come round to the most critical point of all, and that is energy security is the most important factor to look at as of now. Well, I think that's a, a sensible point on which, and an important one on which to conclude, John. I mean, a, a lot of people have said um, energy security needs to come first. Otherwise, you know, the whole question of, of pricing and sustainability are you know, almost second order considerations. If you don't have that, you have nothing. On the other hand, in the long run, we want more sustainable supply. So I'm sure the net zero go away, but there's a big question about the, uh, uh, the time scale for achieving it and the technologies we're going to need in the interim. So thank you for your thoughts on all of that, John. Uh, slightly depressing times for consumers and indeed for others uh, in Europe at the moment for understandable reasons. I hope next time we have a chance to chat all about this, uh, the circumstances will look a bit better. But I have to say, in the meantime, the outlook for consumers is looking pretty grim. All I can say is anything more we can do at, at Alpha to help navigate all of this and understand it, we're pleased to do so. Do have a look at our website, alphaenergygroup.com forward slash UK for our reports. And we hope you're able to join us for a podcast again soon. Thank you.